0: dive into the book of Jonah, Week two, We started this series last week and if you missed week one, um, I took about 15 minutes at the top of the message to help us understand the context of this book, to help us read this book properly. Uh, We went through um, a bit of a study there. So you're going to want to go back and rewatch that because it's going to frame how we read the text and how we move forward. Uh, But I can't repeat it every week. So please go and listen and, and tune into that. If you don't know, all of our messages are posted. Anywhere you get a podcast, search Artisan Church. There's a podcast of all of our messages. And it's also on YouTube at our Artisan Church page. Um, but we're, we're going to continue in Jonah. And, and this week we're going to talk about the moment where Jonah gets thrown overboard and then gets saved by a big fish, gets saved by a whale. And, and it's an interesting story because It really is going to help us understand as we dive into this text and we walk through what I believe God's trying to speak to us today. We're going to understand that this is really a picture of salvation. We're going to see maybe some new sides of what it means to truly be saved. And salvation and being saved um, depending on your personality, I think there are some people that maybe have the personality of like, I just love being saved. I love being in distress, and I want someone to come save me. Um, if that's your personality, it's not mine, okay? I am terrible at even asking for help. Anybody bad at asking for help? You're just like, no, I got this, and you're going to be boneheaded, and you're going to do something stupid, and everyone's frustrated. Why didn't you just ask for help when you needed it? I had a moment literally last night, and I, this is so simple, but there was garage, our garage doors, we were repainting and kind of fixing up our garage doors, and uh, rather than buying new, come on, stewardship somebody, come on. And uh, and so we're fixing up these beat-up garage doors, and I'm replacing the liner at the bottom, right? The seal at the bottom, and and I'm sitting there, and in my head I'm thinking. And Renee was um, off, one of our um, singers, uh, part of our band. She was actually part of Maverick City uh, uh, singing last night, so Renee was there supporting her with a bunch of women from the church, and they were doing that, which is awesome. But I'm there with the kids and I'm trying to get this liner and you have to like slide this liner along our 16 foot long garage door right and you sort of have to shimmy it but you ha- but but if you're not careful it doesn't stay in the grooves and it's this whole process and I am there and I am struggling with this thing, like, like I am stru. Because once you get a little ways, then you're trying to pull it down, but then it s- snaps out of the grooves, and then you got to pull it back, and then you got to rethread this thing, and it's so frustrating. And I'm frustrated. And Willa, our oldest, is like, "Daddy, like, can I help?" And I'm like, "No, you can't help. What are you gonna do? Like, what are you gonna like? You, you can't help." you're you're seven right I'm the great father moment right like i i i and I'm like I, I didn't quite say it that way, but basically I'm like, hey, no I got this, daddy's got this and and she's like, let me try to help'm like no, I got this, I got this Finally, after about fifteen minutes, it dawned on me, wait if I lower the garage door like Maybe Willow could help. Like, maybe she keeps asking. She's like, I'm like, fine, okay, you can help. I lower the garage door so it's more at her height. She literally just goes over and instinctively saw what I was doing wrong, held the rubber, put it in a U shape so it perfectly went, and I grabbed it from one end. She fed it from the other, and we got it done in about 30 seconds. <laughs> because my daughter is far more intelligent than I am, is what I learned last night. Right? But I'm like, who wants to be saved by their daughter? Yeah, You don't want your daughter to save the day. But my stubbornness and my inability to ask for help put us in a situation where I was frustrated and sweaty and, and angry because it's so easy to like, oh, I, I got this. I got this. And sometimes it almost becomes this matter of like pride. Like, like if I can't do this myself, then that says something about me. Or we just get really, you know, dumb about it. And and I'm in this this spot, and and the reality is that that in order for you to be saved, how many of you know at some point you have to submit? Like I can't be saved without submitting. Like okay, finally I'll submit to what you're saying, Willa. I will allow you to help me. Oh, that's right. That's what I needed all along. Like you are amazing. We have to submit. And what we see from Jonah is he is fighting submission. Like like he is. Fighting submission in this story. He's being told where to go and what to do. He's a prophet of God. He's supposed to be a mouthpiece for the Lord. God says, go to this place, and Nineveh, and go say this message. And he goes to Tarshish in the opposite direction. And he's having this moment. Now he's in a boat. And there's a storm going around. And all the people on the boat are like, dude, pray to your God. Like, Pray. Come on, we're all, pr- why aren't you praying? And he's like, Ah, you won't pray? He will not submit. And we're going to see just how far he's going to push it before submitting. And we're going to pick up the story in Jonah chapter 1, starting verse 11. It says this And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, What should we do to you to stop this storm? Remember, they just took up lots and discovered that it was Jonah. He's the problem. Jonah's the issue. He's the issue. They've now convinced it's him and that it's his God that sent this storm, not theirs. And so Jonah's response is not just let me pray, let me talk to God. Hey, actually, what he should say is, hey, actually, if we just turn the ship around, the storm will stop. I just got to get in line with what God's saying. There's so many solutions. But again, right, the humor of this story humor. Remember the satire piece of this? All of a sudden, what does he go? Throw me into the sea. <laughs> this is dramatic. I want you to picture like he like does it like this, right? Like, oh. like he's just like, throw me into the sea. He goes to the most dramatic, the most extreme possible scenario in order to avoid submission. He's like, I will go to the very, just throw me into the storm. Let me go. Let me go. And, and then it will become calm again. Because it's my fault. And then it, let's jump down to, so then the sailors kind of had this moment where they're struggling with this. Like, we don't want to murder this guy. We don't want to have his blood on our hands. And so they're trying to figure this out. But in verse 15, it says, Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. And the storm stopped at once, immediately. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And so they offered him a sacrifice And vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. A couple things here before we even continue. Number one, I love this moment where the men on the boat have a revelation of who God is. Remember to say at the beginning where we always think of Jonah as being Jonah and the whale, and we want to make the whale the central character in this story. And yet the whole purpose of this story is to show people that God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even the Old Testament God had grace to save Gentiles, non-Jews. And here we see a moment where these Gentile men cry out to God because they see the greatness of our God. So even in the midst of Jonah's disobedience, God is doing something really, really special. And he's, we're going to get to this in a moment. He's moving in spite of Jonah. He's like, I'm going to move in spite of your disobedience. We talked about disobedience last week. And this incredible moment happens. Because, again, the story is about God's love for people. And then Jonah begins to say this desperate prayer. He's in the fish, and he's crying out to God. And yet, it's interesting when you read this prayer, it's like he's aware that, that it was God who sent the fish. It's like he was aware that he was being protected, because even in this, he calls God his Savior. Let's read this in chapter 2, verse 1. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and the Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. And then I said, "Oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I love how he changes it. You have driven me. How many of you know he drove himself? Because we love to blame God for the things that we cause. We do that all the time. You know, look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. I want you to think about this. What else could this be talking about? As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all of my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Don't you get a sense of Jonah getting saved all anew in this whale? Don't you get a sense of him understanding that he was dying, that that he was broken, that he was living in sin, that he was far from God, and that he's having a redemptive moment? Don't you get this sense of salvation coming? I love this last verse even where he actually declares, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. If you really want another theme verse for the book of Jonah, for salvation comes from the Lord alone. This is a book of salvation. It's a book about being saved, but it requires some submission at some point. And the goal being that we don't push our submission as far away as Jonah did. That we don't push our disobedience as long and far as Jonah did, but that we write it earlier. So I said this in this first piece. I love that God still moves in spite of us, church. I love this fact of God, that, that he is... It's, it's one of the aspects that really shows us just how good God is in his nature. How often he will move in spite of broken people, in spite of our humanity, in spite of our failures, in spite of our sin. We watch him do amazing things in our life. Because the sailors, they were awestruck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. God's will is for all men to worship him. For all men and women to bring him glory and be in relationship with him. He prefers to use us to bring that message into the world. But sometimes we make it really, really hard. <laughs> sometimes we make it difficult. And he's saying, hey, I want you to be a mouthpiece. I want you to go and tell these people about me. I want you to go and reach me. And we're like, no, 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 I'm going to Tarshish. And sometimes he moves even in spite of us. And another way that I, I look at this too, there's this piece This incredible story within a story. It's sort of an along-the-way moment that happens with these sailors. And one of the beautiful things, if you study the word long enough, you're going to start to notice that God sometimes does his best work along the way. We get really obsessed with the starts, starting lines, and the finish lines. Uh, We tend to tell our testimonies around start lines and finish lines. We tend to frame our life on where we're at how close we are to a finish line, once I get this degree, once I get this certification at my job, once I have this many kids, once they're in this grade, once we're in this season, once I'm an empty nester, once I'm retired. We create starting lines and finish lines all the time and we put a whole lot more value on them than what the Bible would suggest we should. Again, when you look at it, you study it, you start to realize, hold on, I think that God likes to do stuff along the way and that we're to run the entire race with endurance and that there's so many moments that are going to happen along the way. Jesus himself did many miracles along the way. Right, We know that he was interrupted by, by a soldier whose daughter was sick, and he chose to heal him and divert what he was doing. We know that the, 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 the woman with the issue of blood interrupted him. We know that Zacchaeus was an interruption along the way. I could keep going. Then you look at other characters in the Bible. Elijah, God meets him while he's running away from his chosen task, just like Jonah. Because, again, this book is way more than about Jonah. It's about the human nature because he was facing something something that he was scared of and he ran and God met him up on the mountain and did a miracle along the way. We know that Paul, who was used to be called Saul, he was on the road to Damascus and along the way, on his way to persecuting Christians, God goes, watch what I can do along the way. I'm going to interrupt your start lines and I'm going to interrupt your finish lines and and watch what I can do. I want to move a miracle along the way. So last week as we talked about Nineveh, in Tarshish, hopefully one of the things you could take away from this morning is, God, I may not be at Nineveh yet, or I may have gotten way too close to Tarshish, but what are you trying to do along the way? Like, what could you do right now? What could you do before I get there? What could you do in the midst of it? What could you do before I'm healed? What could you do before the breakthrough? Like, like what's what about today? Does today have value? Because... I don't know, like, every time I get to one of my finish lines, it doesn't feel as good as I think it will. Every time. Well, once I get that opportunity and get that opportunity, you're like, oh, okay, but now I'm just thinking about what's next. We joke we about this with our house. We create these finish lines. Well, once this room's done, then we're going to, and then you notice the bathroom. And you're like, ah, oh, yeah, 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 we got more work to do. Right? It, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. There, there is no arrival with your children. There's no arrival with your family. Because humans, we don't arrive. We don't arrive. We're continually moving and changing. And so I think much more of life is along the way than we think it is. We overvalue the start and the stop. And here God is moving along the way. I wonder if God's destination is not the only goal of the direction he gave you. Maybe it was just to get you moving towards something. (laughs) And then once you're moving, now he can use you. Or maybe he just wanted to get you headed in the right direction so he could get you around the people he needed to. Sometimes I've found that what I've made as a destination, God saw just as a direction. Because I was just trying to point you. I was just trying to get you in line. I was trying to get you moving the way I need you to go. Another thing I love about this passage is I love how it's worded. I thought this is brilliant. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. He'd arranged. He'd prepared. He'd arranged a miracle. I love that God is arranging miracles. I love that God is arranging. I love that word. It's intentional. It's it's methodical. He's taking focus and attention. And he's going, man, how am I going to work this, right? Unfortunately... The passage that gets overquoted when we're grieving or struggling is, well, you know, God works all things together for good. And that verse that's so powerful gets connected sometimes at like bad timed Christian catchphrase, right? You're like, I don't want to hear right now. Like this isn't like at the funeral is not the time to say that, right? Like we, we we misuse it. But yet how true is it? He's working things together. He's arranging things in our life that are helping us, that are are guiding us that are leading us but the problem is we the word miracle in modern day christianity we only attach to what feels special so like it's got to feel only positive it's got it's got to be right my 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 broken leg was healed that's a miracle like we put it in this category of these extreme things that are only special and never hard and always easy I didn't have to do any of the work. God did it all. It's a miracle. And there are moments where that happens. But what I've found is often the miracle is often an open door or an opportunity or some help that you're to submit to. The miracle sometimes is a stinking whale belly. And I love the picture Jonah says, I got seaweed wrapped around me. Is that is it could there have been other ways God could have saved him like really the belly of a whale like in the digestive fluids like I'm just buried here like just just covered in gunk covered in junk like that would not be the miracle I would choose. So if I'm Jonah I'm not looking for a whale to swallow me. I'm going God could you just like levitate me out of the water? Oh put me back on the boat? Like I you know what what else could it be? Give me the power to walk on water like you have I mean what would you think? How would you write the miracle? I don't know that it would be a whale. I don't know that it would be a whale. But understand, what's so interesting is we think that miracles are a removal of suffering, and yet the greatest miracle was Jesus' suffering. So, So often we go, oh, no, 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 if it's a miracle, it's an elimination of pain. It's an elimination of discomfort. It's an elimination of anything hard in my life. Yet the greatest miracle in the history of mankind was Jesus suffering on our behalf. So where do we get that theology from? God is a God who's going to bring good gifts. He is a God who's going to do those miracles. But sometimes, sometimes it's like, I need a miracle in my finances. And he brings you a financial planner. <laughs> you know? So I didn't want that. I don't want the hard work. I just wanted someone to deposit money. I wanted to look at my checking account and there's $10,000 That's what I wanted. I want that kind of miracle. I don't want, don't give me the Dave Ramsey. I don't want to do that. I don't want a snowball process, okay? I, I don't want envelopes with cash in it, okay? It's just not my vibes, right? We, we, we want something to be just handed and easy, and yet God is working miracles on your behalf. He's working miracles right now all around you. Do you have eyes to see it? Because sometimes it comes in the form of something stinking, smelly, uncomfortable, painful, and yet it's exactly what you need. It's exactly what you need right now. He's arranging miracles on your behalf. The last thing I'll say about miracles is I really, I really do. I think it's important to to remember that they meet us more than they are made by us. So so often we want a miracle, we're like, I got what I need to do to make my miracle happen. Honestly, you can't. But your miracles are meeting you. They're coming to you. Are you aware of them? Are you looking for them? We do not make the miracles. The final thing that I love, I love. I love this structure that we see that's not just in the book of Jonah, but it's all through the New Testament. It's all through the book of the Bible. I love that it's God who saves and it's us who serves. And this is what we see Jonah react. But I will offer sacrifices. I will offer service to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And then upon that revelation, it says then, so because of that revelation, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. I almost wonder, it's like, it's like the moment he got it right, it's, was the whale just like chilling by the beach just waiting? Like, once he figures this out, like, I hope he figures it out before I digest him, right? Like, I hope he gets this right. Is the, is the whale just waiting, just blah, like, just ready to vomit him on the beach until he gets this right, you know? Sometimes you put your kid in a timeout until you see Actual remorse, right? You're like, you're gonna stay in this timeout until I see a change of attitude, because right now you got that defiant face, and I'm gonna keep you in this timeout until your defiant face goes away. <laughs> and once I see submitted face, then we'll spit you out, because in order for you to be safe from your timeout, you got to submit to the apology you owe your sister. Like, come on, Rocco, right? I'm not talking about my kid. What are you talking about? You see, and and you see this moment, like, black. He gets spat out. Did he got it right? My salvation comes from the Lord, so I'm going to offer sacrifices and I'm going to offer service to you. I, I firmly believe that the revelation of the communion cup, the revelation of who Jesus is, has to be followed up with service. Like if you grasp the magnitude of Jesus' sacrifice for us and this, this saving of, of, of every person, which again the whale is this example of savior of our Savior Jesus, this example of being saved, if we understand that there has to be a piece of us that goes, "Man, if God's going to save me, I I got to serve him. I got to serve him. There's some things I need to do." We are not called to be the savior of anyone, but reflect the savior to everyone. You see, Jesus is the savior, but we want to be the hero. The beautiful thing about Jonah is we see that he's not the hero. It helps us understand that Jesus is the hero of the story that we're sharing to people. We don't preach the gospel to bring like glory on us, we preach the gospel to bring glory to Jesus. And so when we share that, that is the reality. We are in the business. We're not in the business of saving someone. A lot of times when, especially I've worked with a lot of young adults who get have a, have a moment where they're getting saved and they're trying to reach people and, and so as I've heard where they, they kind of have a tally, right? Like a tally of how many people they've gotten saved. And they'll actually say that. Or, or I've been on mission trips and we'll do street evangelism. And they're like, how many people did you save today? Like that would ask the question at, at dinner, how many people you saved today? And we're like, okay, so that's actually, let's talk about how you phrased that. So like, who are you saving and, and what are you doing? Like the real reality is how many people heard the message of Jesus today? How many people did you tell about Jesus? We we'd have to teach that because human nature wants to get credit. And we want to score. Like I want to be able to tally it. How many people did I save? Because if I'm a savior, I'm a hero. When the reality is Jesus is the savior and he's supposed to be the hero. And he's supposed to get the credit. And when Jonah finally understands this, he gets spit out. And so we see this beautiful, in the, in the image of the whale, we see a crystal clear prophetic picture of the salvation found in Jesus. The keys can come on up. We know that Jonah deserved to die for his actions. How many of you know that we deserve death for the sin that we've committed? We deserve death. I I don't deserve a life with God. We know that while Jonah was still in sin, God sent a whale. While he was still sinning, Christ died for us. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. While Jonah was still sinning, this whale showed up. He hadn't repented. He hadn't cried out to God. Throw me overboard. Toss me overboard. It's over. Throw me to the storm. And then the whale comes. And then the whale comes. While he was still sinning. And it's this beautiful picture of Jesus meeting us when we're on the road to Tarshish. Meeting us while we're still sinning. Meeting us time and time again while we're in this struggle, in this problem. Jesus looks at us and goes, hey, you're not, you're not too far gone to get back on track. You're not too far gone. In Jonah, we see our failure. In the whale, we see God's faithfulness. So Jonah gives us this imagery of like, "Ah, oh, yeah, I, I'm so often in that place. But the whale reminds us that God is so faithful to send help. God is so faithful to arrange a miracle on your behalf. God is so faithful to even work in spite of you when you're struggling. God is so faithful in saving us and all he asks in return is our service. Let me end with this verse. Philippians chapter two, verse 12 and 13 says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. Is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Can we just, just stay there just for a second? Work hard to show the results of your salvation. God's saving must lead to our faithful serving. God's saving has to, we want to work hard to show that we understand the unmerited salvation of Jesus. We understand the magnitude of the miracle of Him sending a whale into our life and saving us. Work hard to show the results. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. He's working in you, shifting your desires empowering you to walk in the will of God. It's powerful. I think this story of Jonah, what we're seeing, it's this, it's a real clear study even, into the providence. The providence would mean like the protective care and will of God and our relationship to it. We serve a good God. He is so loving, He is so caring. He's so grace-filled. He's arranging a miracle for you. He's working even sometimes in spite of you. He's saving you. So I want us to take a moment and bow our heads and close our eyes and would we process this for a moment, just think about the word we learned from Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 2 today, the truth of this story, that Jonah gives us a picture of our failures, but the whale gives us a picture of God's faithfulness time and time again. So God, right now, would you give us a revelation of your faithfulness? Would you just remind us of how good you are even in the midst of our disobedience, even when we're getting back on track? So come on, would you take a moment, would you just pray a submission prayer to God? Anything that you've been trying to save yourself from, anything you've been trying to control, anything you've not been allowing God to be Lord of, and you go, I got this, I got this. You're like me struggling with the garage door and he's offering help. What is it that you are just not submitting and experiencing safe, uh, to be being saved from? What is it? Just begin to pray in your own, t- own moment. You don't need my words. Begin talking to God. Say, God, I want to submit this to you. I want to have a moment where a real line. I just realize I'm doing it too much in my own strength, and I need you. I submit this to you. I submit this to you. So, God, would you take these submissions as an offering today? As we get back on track, I pray that this week it would look different. We'd be more prone to ask you for help. We'd be more prone to listen to your agenda, not bring our agendas to you. Would submission be the word for our week as we go from being disobedient and getting back on track to obedience as we go from Tarshish to Nineveh. Thank you that you are arranging miracles. I feel so strongly, God, you are aligning things this week. Miracles are happening. Your providence is moving on the behalf of so many of these individuals, God, as we pray, as we submit. You're doing a work even now in our midst. Blessings upon us as we go. And everybody in the house of Jesus said, everybody in the house of Jesus said. Come on, can you give him just a round of applause? God is so good. You can stand to your feet all across this place.